Ready to rock? Mm. Ready to Ragnarok. (laughs) Hello, hello. Welcome back to Sexuality, a podcast that examines queer content in media. I'm your host, Lisa Lloyd, and joining me today is a very special guest, one of my best friends, Dana. Hello, it is lovely to be here. Finally, thank you for letting me pick a movie slash franchise that I care about with my entire being. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited to do this. Did you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yep, my name's Dana. I am a UQ alumni. I'm a teacher now, secondary. Woo, they're slowly killing me, but it's wonderful. We're doing this finally today because it's the first day of the school holidays, which is basically the only time you can catch me. So what movies or movies franchise are we just dissecting today? Okay, um, this started because... You wanted to have me an episode, of course, because I'm lovely. (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely true. And you're like, basically just pick your favorite movie. And my brain, being obsessed with Marvel for my entire life now, is like Thor Ragnarok, because he's my son and my boy. And then... Your main hang. Yeah. And then we started going, oh, should we do a couple of like Marvel movies in one? And I went, why don't we just do the entire Thor Thor trilogy? Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, plus the Avengers. Plus the first Avengers. I yeah. did not watch the second Avengers. Don't. I'm not. Like, I've seen it. <laughs> I know I you love to... me, but you don't have to take that bullet for me. I was very much very reluctant to watch the first one. And then I was like, it's got Loki in it. Like, it's got both of them in it. It's got to have, like, I might as well watch that because it's got both of them in it. And Loki features very heavily. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun opinions to dissect today. Lisa has discovered her absolute adoration for characters who I often am not a fan of, but well, it's going to be fun. differing opinions on characters. Yeah, that's fine. Sorry, it's, it's absolutely gonna, okay. Yeah. Uh, first break off, it down. Yeah. So first off, I just want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet, the Yagara and Turrbal people, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Uh this land was never ceded. Always will be, always was Aboriginal land. Okay, so what we're going to do is talk generally about the movie and then maybe have a little discussion about decolonization or mm-hmm. anti-colonialism, Excellent. just depending on how we feel because we are two white people and we don't have obviously the same experiences as someone, like a person of colour or an Indigenous person living in a colonised country. So we can only really put forward our own perspectives. So I did have a lot written and then I was like, maybe Hmm. I shouldn't go into that much. But we can probably pool our resources and come up with a blog post maybe. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I will see if I can look into some of my school contacts as well. Yeah. Like um, our Indigenous officer and room and see if I can get some, even if I, you know, get some kids' perspectives on the movie. If they enjoyed it, if they liked it, what they took away. Yeah, What colonial messages did they pick up? That would be so good. Yeah, Yeah. I'll see what I can do. Okay, listeners, we're going (laughs) to do that. That sounds great. Um, Okay, so generally, I found it to be like... Uh, Thor Ragnarok, especially, to be, like, uh, an extremely queer baby film. Oh, yeah. So... Love that Disney-friendly, friendly censoring. Uh, like, I didn't even <laughs> realise there was that thing between um, Loki and the Grandmaster until someone oh, yeah. pointed so it out. So subtle. It's so subtle. It, um, <laughs> I only loved it because Thor's face immediately after that's my favourite face <laughs> in the entire movie. <laughs> And it was my profile picture on one of my social medias (laughs) for, like, two years. (laughs) 
Just the Grandmaster fluttering his eyelashes at Luke. Like, he's being like, wait, listen, it's not what you think. It is exactly what we think, Loki. It is exactly what we think. How else do you survive on an alien planet? Exactly. I've gained the Grandmaster's favor. I know this, the ship that they that he gets them orgy is ship. an orgy ship. <laughs> It's, yeah, and also, like, Jeff Goldblum just exudes so much <laughs> unstable you. gay energy in that role. The blue eyeliner really does all the talking for you. Exactly, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, and then there's other elements of the films, which are, yeah. like, Valkyrie is bisexual, and I knew that. Yes. I think I knew that going in, but I otherwise I picked it up really quickly. Yeah, I think... I was watching that scene. I remember sitting around with a bunch of my friends, and a lot of them are queer, but it was also, like, um, the general sci-fi crowd, so a lot of straight dude bros. Um, And I remember as soon as I saw that scene, that pivotal scene where, you know, it's the Valkyries, like, falling and being killed, and, like, she reaches out to her, and I'm like, that's her girlfriend, I say very loudly to whoever was sitting next to me. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) I don't think I picked up on that in Mm -hmm. the film. Like... I, I don't go into a Thor film that's, expecting there to be queer content. Yeah, I like to project a little bit. I'm gonna, no, that's gonna totally fine. Like, I will I will project for literally anything else. Like, I've been watching Hannibal, and it's, like, so clear that they're in love with each other. I won't go into it. Like, Hannibal and Will. Like, it's so, like, they just, the way they talk, it's so, like, I think, gay. They're gay. I think this segues really well into another one of our points, actually, which is... How, like, maybe we go into the Thor movies not expecting queer content because we know they're films rooted around family and family relationships. Yeah. And problematically, the fandom decided the one really, really valid ship is... Yeah, it's like the main <sighs> ship in the fandom. And I hate it. Like, I hated it. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Um, if so for context, listen Thor and Loki, Thorky. Yeah. There are so many other ships that you can ship. Like, with Thor, you've got... Like, Loki doesn't have a lot of, like, romantic interests or anything. It's not until the Grandmaster we see him no, having a romantic interest. because Loki's most basic point of need through most of the movies is survival. Yeah. As soon as his entire world gets shaken up in Thor 1 and changed, and he's not in the status quo he's familiar with, he's looking out for Uno. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't get the chance to have a lot of romantic interests. So it's most, like... Most movies don't have a lot of romantic arcs for their villains. Yeah, exactly. And it's not until he's redeemed in the third movie that he actually, yeah. like, they can expand his character enough to bring in a love interest like the yeah. Grandmaster. Yeah. Um, and then you have Thor, where there are other love interests like there's Sif, there's any of the Warriors 3, there's Heimdall, there's definitely Jane... There's even, like, you can even ship, is it Dr. Selvig and Thor? Like, <laughs> yeah, you can even ship that. They have a one. drinking night, they fought, they drink, and they, they fight, they drink, and they the make their... <laughs> <laughs> and they make their ancestors proud. Exactly. Um, I mean, even, like, Asgard has a rainbow bridge. I, I adore, <laughs> um, in Ragnarok in particular, um, it's a ship that came out of pretty much nowhere because everyone always forgot it. Okay. It's not a ship that came out of nowhere. In the original Avengers days, there was always, like, people pairing off uh, Clint and Natasha, people pair off Steve and Tony. I love Clint and Natasha. Yeah, people pair off those guys. I guess Thor and Bruce are together because (laughs) they're just the leftovers. (laughs) And I'm like, I love that Ragnarok gave them some nice chemistry. And I'm like, I never really shipped it or, like, cared about it that much. I'm like, people just do that because they're the only two left. But now after Ragnarok, I'm like, no, this is so good. It's so wholesome. I don't mind seeing that content in my dad. 
match. They have even like if it's really not, good chemistry. Yeah, even if it's not my main like girl yeah. for my boy, I'm like, this is sweet. This is cute. I can absolutely see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I don't personally see Thor as queer. Like oh, it's just I know I know into the trap. I know <laughs> Like everyone can be queer, like Little every big character. Big beefy soft boys be queer <laughs> with the big soft heart and long flowing hair. I saw this. Let Fabio be queer. <laughs> I saw this um Tumblr post that was like lesbians described your ideal man. <laughs> People posting the like someone just collected all the um all the tags and it was like long <laughs> like big muscle man big like with a heart of gold oh, and then man. it's like likes to be pegged. <laughs> <laughs> Four people sent me that post. Four people! Long flowing hair. Oh, you're just describing Thor now. Okay, see, I see, okay, I absolutely see that because he is designed as the Segway character for, like, the straight male men to project yeah. on and, like, want to immerse themselves in the world. But also but for like, women to lust after. Yeah, but... Including and, lesbians, which no, we do. Okay, but as a big, massive gay lesbian, I don't give a shit about Chris Hemsworth's body. The shirtless scenes in Thor, I don't care yeah, about. Yeah, I don't care about those either. I just... Love him. He's such a wholesome character. I've connected with him since I'm a kid because, I don't know, the values of worth and your value, like yeah. how you see yourself and how the world sees you dictating whether or not you actually have power is something that's always intrigued me. Mm. And he's been such a iconic character for me. I love him to death. And I think it's a trap to like box him in as the like straight male dude lead and he's like, can't be, he's the only one in the universe who's not queer or whatever. Because... He has so many qualities that are actively undermining the traditional, like, stereotypical masculine mm. views of our protagonists. He is very emotive. Yes, he starts out being a bit shouty and angry, but over the movies, he full one is literally about him developing his softer side. And emotion and empathy. Yeah, he cries, he grieves, yeah. he, like... So many things that we don't see males do. Yeah. And, like, maybe he can get away with that because he's so hyper-masculinized. But... It's never seen as a bad thing, him being upset about mm. losing Loki or losing his mum in yeah. number two. Like, But I don't necessarily see that as like, as a, well, he must be queer because no, he shows these things. That's true. But like, I think it's very dangerous for to fall completely in the other way too, where the only characters we see are queer are the ones who stereotypically exhibit those qualities. That's true. Yeah. Like, if we assume that, like, Loki's the only queer one because is like a little bit more effeminate and mm. you know doesn't do the swords and fighty thing does mm. the magic thing that's a really dangerous trope I absolutely believe. like it's um it also falls into the trap of like that um that companies that film makers do where they villainize the queer people or they queer the mm. villains and absolutely we can deconstruct that from a like disney probably doing these choices deliberately standpoint let's, but let's as, do that as watchers, we need to also be careful that we yeah, don't just... Yeah, we don't do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, what else did we want to say? Um, so, with Valkyrie, we see mm, her, like her. you were talking about before, how she's she has that scene where her lover dies. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, I love everything about Ragnarok. I fucking love everything about it's Ragnarok. So but that, um... But that like lighting and the that new technique that new develop. technique it was the guy from um it was Stu from what, what we, we do, do in, in the, the shadows, shadows. yeah because yeah. he's a he invented Tech that is the best can he just he and his friends be hired for every project? every movie like work on Captain like Black Widow movie or oh like... my god Tiger directed Black Widow yes please 
Let's do it. Fuck. Let's crowdfund this. Let's do it. If if Critical Role can get to like a D and D podcast can get to eight point eight million, we can get Black Widow. <laughs> well, I only twenty four people D&D have audience. listened to this podcast, so we're gonna get more. We're gonna get more. We're gonna... Yeah, we just pimp it out just to all like your students and stuff. Seven hundred and fifty thousand per person. Not far to go, guys. <laughs> Seven hundred and fifty thousand people. Money dollars. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about like if if a D and D podcast has no. however many followers, Sorry. six point eight million followers or whatever. I'm a dumbass who needs to use my language skills. Better. I'm a dumbass who does not understand language. We're, and we're, or... we're a fabulous pair. <laughs> How do you do it? Um, yeah so that Valkyrie so that was uh, just like the whole bury your gaze fridge lover mm. trope and the fact that like it had to be such a subtle nod like queer people instantly in the audience could pick up Mm -hmm. well I I didn't oh my fucking (laughs) (laughs) you're just oblivious I'm just an idiot let's chalk it up to the queer versus oblivious chart which one is useless gay yeah yeah I have been calling myself a deadbeat lesbian oh I love it Oh, I love it so much. I am the seemingly functional lesbian, and then I'm a fucking disaster on the inside. Yeah, but you have a lot going for you. You are functional. Like, you don't you don't think that you are, but you are functional. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, Valkyrie. The fact, though, that it's still quite subtle, and mm-hmm. that I wonder how much got left on the editing room floor. Taika was fully for it. Yep. Tessa was fully for it. Everyone was so ready for it, and mm. just Disney and Marvel, nah. And it bothers me. Like, you said apparently you did some digging and found out there was going to be... What was the scene actually planned? Oh, the scene actually planned was when uh, Val- like a woman walks out of Valkyrie's bedroom. Okay. And that was off. Are you talking about the yeah. a- Avengers Endgame? No, just no. Whatever, oh. whatever scene was originally planned. Yeah, I think it was like uh, a woman was walking out of Valkyrie's bedroom or her apartment or something like that. And that was meant to be like a nod. Excuse me. That was meant to be a nod to um, her bisexuality. Okay, but like, that seems like if that had made it in, would that have still been obvious enough? It would still be queer baby. It'd be really queer baby because A, like, is, is the woman fully clothed? Like, is yeah. that like a. Is it just like. Oh, it could be a friend popping over for a cup of coffee. Mm. Like, I'd much rather, like, maybe the lady is sprawled out asleep in the bed behind. Yeah, like- <laughs> or, like, even just a quick kiss. Yeah. And that would also show Valkyrie's softer side, mm-hmm. which exactly. gives her more depth. Yeah, exactly. And it's tough, I think, with Valkyrie, because they were trying to write a character who is incredibly traumatised and incredibly wanted to shut herself away from the world that had burned her before, mm-hmm. being, like, Asgard. Um... But you can do that. People are multifaceted. They could be completely closed off in one area and, like, can be healthy in others. Yeah, absolutely. Like, people aren't one-dimensional. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like, she could be traumatized in some areas and not in others. And while she is, you know, drinking herself into oblivion kind of thing, Mm. um, she still has the propensity to be... um, a good person yeah which is shown when she rescues or rescues thor and takes them back to her apartment and is like let's go to that's save true but asgard even then when push comes to shove um it was thor who freed himself from the chip the control chip 
Yeah, I was just it thinking was... of the when she saves him from that big dude. Yeah, yeah, when dude. they're when they're in the the streets, the streets. Yeah, yeah. I think that's her finally making that choice. But that was wasn't that triggered by Loki giving her the flashback to remind her why she's really fighting. Yes, but she still has the agency in order yeah. to make that decision. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, I liked most about Valkyrie's character was that she had agency and she affected the plot. Yeah, um, I think we have a really interesting interpretation as well when we get later to our Hela and Valkyrie yep. in-depth insights. I've got some interesting comments there too, actually. Yeah, I love Valkyrie. She's so important. She's the best. But, like, I am a little bit critical of the way she's written or how much of her got cut. Like, the fact that she doesn't even have a real name. Mm, she she's is Scrapper. Scrapper Whatever the name is. Yeah. yeah, Scrapper 142 or Valkyrie. And yeah, the and Valkyrie, Valkyrie is the group, is of, the women. group of women. Yeah. And we, I think you discuss in your notes, um, you talk about how she's inspired by the comics. But the problem with the comics, Valkyrie, is there are so many different ones. Yeah. And like so many different names Valkyrie like the most famous being Brunhild but isn't that I wish they just well that that was my interpretation but I know that others are going no Val is Brunhild like Val as we know her Mm. and that's the problem because they didn't explicitly name her because no one even bothered to name her in a script so I'm a little Mm. bit salty at Taika there I'm a little bit salty at the production team yeah like, don't even get me started on the Bechdel test in this movie, because it doesn't pass. It Spoiler doesn't alert. Pass. There are two three, women. Two named women, two named one women. other woman. So Topaz, Hella. Topaz gets yep. a name and Hella and, and fucking Hela, Valkyrie yeah. doesn't. Valkyrie doesn't, yeah. yeah. I just forgot about Hella. I was like, yeah. who's the third woman? <laughs> <laughs> forgot about Hella. Just forgot about her. Just for a quick sec. And it does amazing things as far as like having some women of colour in film, having mm-hmm. Like, very interesting dialogues about colonialism. Mm-hmm. Why don't I have a fucking named main character? Yeah, I found that a bit lacking as well. Like, my main thought was, oh, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, so it's not as good a movie no. as it could be. And, like, honestly, sometimes it doesn't even matter if it doesn't pass the Bechdel test because it has so many other important things to say. And all of those women are very interesting and yeah. complex, and they're not necessarily just love interests or femme yeah. fatales or whatever. They yeah. are interesting yeah 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 absolutely so but like as the Bechdel cast says the Bechdel test is just a jumping off point to talk no, about exactly. broader issues well so even that then saying... though actually <laughs> I was gonna bring this up another time yeah Bechdel cast um I feel like most podcasts and media that dissect the Bechdel test are actually forgetting it's not rooted in feminism it's, it's rooted in lesbianism. Feminism. Yeah, it, yeah, the whole point of the Bechdel, um, Bechdel test is lesbians can't go to a movie and even see two women talking about something yeah. that isn't men. Therefore, how can they project or identify with the female characters mm. portrayed on screen mm-hmm. who look nothing like them, talk nothing like them, and act nothing like them? And it leads to this well, this like loneliness well in media. Mm. Yeah. And so, again, having an unnamed main female character, like... Who sense. is queer? Like yeah. even Tyker and um, it makes it easier to project on, which is yeah. okay. But I think yeah, it could have been much stronger, and it could have deleted some of that obscurity from comics to screen. So we're not yeah. just giving all this credit for what happens in the comics. Marvel tends to do that a lot. They tend to leave it out of their movies to make it palatable to the wider audience and to China, who's one of their biggest um, money bringers. <sighs> but. They just go, oh, but in the comics, this this backs up the movie. So yeah. you don't need to actually put it on the screen mm. where we're going to be able to multi-sell mm. it to millions of people who don't agree with same-sex 
mm. ideology. Yeah, absolutely. And I liked that um, Thor and Valkyrie were positioned as love interests. Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of a lot of the time, women of color don't get the love interests that white women do. And I liked the way they handled them because for once, and this is Thor's main problems with it like i thor and jane happened way too quick to me mm. and they did a lot of things with jane's character that like through i get they were trying to like do the women in stem thing mm -hmm. but also by doing that they inherently shat all over women who are nurses because they're like that's not a cool enough stem field yes you know mm. science but nursing that's traditionally feminine so that's not good let's make her a astrophysicist <laughs> is she an astrophysicist in the comics? No. No, what is she? She is a nurse. Oh, she is an EMT at one point, so she's like the frontline paramedics in a lot of Avengers events because she has the connection to Thor. So she's one of the first nurses on the scene because she knows about superheroes. She's been briefed. Yep. Um, I really do. loved, I've always loved Jane Foster's character as in a, a comic, in a comic yeah. and in a lot of the cartoons and TV shows. Yeah, yeah. And I like her in the movies, but in a, she's not the same character to me. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I know a lot about the politics behind the scenes, too, that might have impacted that as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, but the way they did Valkyrie and Thor, um, yeah, I like it because it's, you can read into it, you can not read into it, you can, mm. like, see it maybe developing over the next movie or the movie after. Mm. Like, Are there, is there I'm glad be they a... took their time to yeah. breathe and they gave a movie where the two didn't have to kiss or they didn't yeah, have exactly. to have that romantic heart swelling moment for it to be a meaningful yeah. and deep relationship. And they're both kicking ass. Yeah. Like they're, they're both, both capable. as capable as We're not other. worried about Valkyrie getting fridged for Thor's pain. Exactly. We always were worried about that with Jane. Yeah. And that was like Dark World. The whole thing was like, she's going to die if you don't get the Aether out. And she just spends half of it asleep. <laughs> You're right. Convenient Jane sleep. <laughs> so that Thor and Loki can just like. She and Odin could bond over that. You think he'd be nicer? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, shall we move on? Yes. Um, what are we doing? Okay, so <coughs> we if wanna... I'm talking too much, just tell me to shut the fuck up. That's why I brought you okay. on. <laughs> Did I not tell you I want this to go for three hours? Alright, let's go. <laughs> Do we want to? Did we already brush on the incest? Is there any more that you yeah, wanted to say? Yeah. Um, I think mostly the takeaway there is it's pretty gross that like people are so desperate to just find two white boys to ship that they will even like ignore the fact of siblings and like be like oh but they're not technically related so it's not technically disgusting and as someone with a but lot it's of like there are lots of like supernatural has a lot of incest fan fiction <sighs> and they are brothers like <sighs> biologically yeah and even then it's just like delegitimizing adopted like it's not like and even then i say this as someone with step siblings who i didn't know until i was a teenager or older yeah. in my life i didn't did grow you up with them did you want to keep this in yeah this is fine okay. i didn't grow up with them i didn't have like super formative low level but they're still my siblings mm -hmm. and that's weird yeah it's weird. <laughs> and um and like even with thor and loki they've got all that complex child like growing up together as mm. children like they are brothers they are brothers like just because they're adopted doesn't make them any less brothers yeah or family and you said as well like um the fact that <laughs> Loki seems to just hate Thor. Like Loki seems to really hate Thor. Like he turned into a snake and then blah, he stabbed me. That and they were eight. Like yeah, 
Loki has always hated Thor. Like, you see in the first time you see Loki, he is... Oh, no, not the first time, sorry. Uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the first times you see Loki in the films is he's, like, sour and jealous of Thor getting the throne. Of Thor getting coronated. Yeah. yeah. It's so sad seeing them as children, too. They're both just so desperate to please their dad. Please their dad. And, Aren't um, all kids, though? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... And that's incredibly unhealthy when your dad's a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Anthony Hopkins, so I can't see him as like oh, anything but the I best. love him too. He does such a good job playing that fucking asshole. A nut king. A nut king. <laughs> 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 I just love that scene in the back for us. Just nah. <laughs> Screams. Was that when Loki falls? No, it's when Thor and him are arguing for like 10 minutes and Loki's like, mind if I... And Odin's just like, no! <laughs> what so was rude. that in? Thor 1, when Thor's about to be yeeted from Asgard. <laughs> <laughs> and he's about to be stripped of his powers and they're just, no! They're arguing with each other and Loki's, mind if I... No! <laughs> Yeah! Shut the fuck up, Loki. No one cares about you and your feelings. Which is, he has okay. so many feelings. And that's why I think, um, bringing it back to the Loki hating Thor thing, Thor kind of epitomizes everything Loki can't be to please their father. Yep. And he's so blinded by his own insecurities and, and like self-esteem about that that he can't even see the way that Thor is being also groomed yeah. and treated very badly by Odin. Yeah, absolutely. I always hate the argument, the self-argument in the fandom that, like, Loki's the only one who was abused. I'm like, no, quite often in abusive families, it's not just one child who's getting abused. No, it's usually, it's like, kind in of a bigger abuse. family, it's usually one child who isn't being abused. Yes, it's a different kind of abuse. It's mm. like Thor's being groomed and conditioned to be this hyper-masculine, domineering ruler. He's not being... Like Odin. is like an imperialist yeah. ruler. yeah. And Loki's just being put in the shadows in the treasure room because Odin had a plan for him and forgot about it. Have you heard any of the theories about that plan? No, what was um, it? Well, because he was technically the heir of Jotunheim. Mm. Like, it's assumed that Odin took him as a baby to solidify a claim back to that kingdom. So once that Loki he could was grown, use, so he could just take it. Yeah, okay. using the stolen heir. And that's what Loki means by stolen relic when he yeah. says, I'm just another stolen relic. Yeah, to be locked up. To be um, locked because away. Odin probably had that plan and then halfway through it was like, oh, Lorfei's not going to die soon. Loki's like a tiny frost giant baby who was abandoned er anyway. Probably not going to work. Oh, I have a question. Um, not really, really related to anything, but when Odin comes to rescue them from Jotunheim mm -hmm. in the first, is he riding Sleipnir? Yeah. The, the horse that Loki gave birth to. Okay, but we have to be careful because I know mythology um, has that really cool detail, which is great. I um, love it. But, but like, it's not in the It's the same films. as Hela being Loki's child in yeah, the myths, yeah. but in this she's the older sister. Yeah, yeah. Like Odin's firstborn. Yeah. They play with it hard and fast. It's cool that they have those nods, but I absolutely understand why they've changed the narrative around. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, and also, did you know that in Norse mythology, Loki's much closer to Odin's age? He's older. He's older than Thor by yeah. a fair bit. And is more like that asshole uncle at the family oh, gathering. Okay. Who's like causes the problem but also fixes the problem. So he's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I fixed it. And everyone's like, mate, can you not? So abridged version. I should do an Australian retelling of all Norse myths. Mate, can you not? 
<laughs> night. Just give it a rest already. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so one thing we were talking about uh, before with seeing Thor as queer. Yeah. Um, another point I just wanted to raise, like, is it valid to view every qu- character as queer unless proven otherwise? Absolutely, because the dominant form of media has been straight until proven otherwise for so mm-hmm. long. Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck, fuck your em. chicken strips. Yeah. I want queer characters. <laughs> in the um, in the live episode that we recorded um, and I put on this podcast. Yeah. Um, um, Emil said something to the same effect, like yeah. he sees everyone as queer until proven otherwise. Yep, they could be ace, they could be pan, they could be bi, they could be gay, they could be trans. Mm. I don't give a shit. Yep. Let's just assume until otherwise proven. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And absolutely. like and then that also helps people I feel like I'm not bi or pan, so I can't comment on this, but that'll help destigmatize that. So if they have yeah. a, if they have a straight in quotation marks yeah. love interest, it's not magically suddenly they Suddenly they're a lesbian like I was. <laughs> no, no. Suddenly um, they're a lesbian and their entire life has been a lie. <laughs> no. Oh, darling. That's all right. It takes us a while to figure it out. <laughs> Took me forever. There's so much compulsory hit. Don't worry about oh, it. Oh, it's so gross. But, um, like, at the same time, you know what's always sunny in Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. Um, they made Matt gay. Oh. And... Like, I have very varied thoughts on that, but one of the main ones is that I don't think he's gay, I think he's bi, and I think it's doing a real disservice to bi people by by erasing the passionate relationships he had with women. Yeah. Because in in the first season... Because I think that's the key asterisk there, passionate relationships. I dated guys for a long time and hated every second of it and broke up with them after a month and felt my skin crawling when I held their hand. It wasn't very passionate. And I'm not any less a lesbian because I dated men. Because only I know what the context was there and how I was feeling and what I was struggling through. And, like, if I had had passionate, like, love affairs of many years and, like, great sex or whatever with men and then, like, realised, oh, shit, like, I have a strong preference for women, actually. Yeah. Then I would probably align more towards the bio, the pan label, mm. which I thought I was for a long time. Yeah, But then absolutely. I was like, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, the passion being the key word, the desire to date absolutely. men, the desire to be with men. Yeah. And I kind of hate that that's what the framework even around is in the first place, that it has to be the lack of attraction to men instead of just I'm fucking attraction into women. Attraction to women, I'm yeah. into women so much. Yeah, absolutely. But to justify it and to, like, I don't know broaden those like distance between like yeah i never want to buy a repair person to feel yeah absolutely and um i think that's what they're doing with matt yeah and also similar with valkyrie they're not portraying her as explicitly bisexual or explicitly queer and i think that is doing it real disservice to all of her queer fans all the credit but none of the work yeah all the credit but none of the work exactly yeah coming out like a jk rowling quote being like (laughs) yes valkyrie was bi all along i mean like she was because in the comics she has a relationship with annabelle riggs yes but that's which valkyrie is it the valkyrie that tessa is because we don't know tessa's name absolutely um additionally on the point of every character being queer until otherwise proven we need to remember we're dealing with some fancy ass immortalish space Viking aliens. Mm, yeah, they you're don't have yeah. the same. I well, I like to envision that they wouldn't have the same 
concept concept is. of gender and sexuality or stigma towards it. Maybe yeah. that's just because I hope in every sci-fi that everywhere else is a little bit better than we are here. Mm-hmm. And that's my optimism for the mm-hmm. genre shining mm-hmm. through. Like, people are like, oh, we have to portray, you know, we have to say, like, the N-word or the F-slur oh. or whatever to be, like, to be real. Or we have to Gritty show, like, sexual abuse against women to be real. Like, this, this thing that a lot of people say about Game of Thrones. And it's like, no, you don't. Well, it doesn't have to be real. Asgard like, is, like you're writing about dragons and space creatures and stuff. Like, why would you want that particular aspect? Why of, would you want the limitations of yeah, our planet and exactly. the shit that we've pulled to be the grounding yeah. features? Or you and just want to like, see women hurt. You just want to see black people discriminated. The way against. Asgard's portrayed until Ragnarok, because then we realize it's like a colonialist, mm. just as faulty as any other. But before then, it's portrayed as this utopia yep. where they have. Um, magic and science interwoven to produce great healing they have long lifespans they you know have everything they need everything is beautiful and creative and it's a cultural and like political paradise you Mm. know it's very much depicted that way as the center of the nine realms of peace and prosperity Mm. protecting everywhere we realize the colonialist undertones in Ragnarok more explicitly. Yeah, absolutely. like I've always been sus looking at the Jotunheim War. I'm yeah. like, when they go to Jotunheim in one and it's a desolate wasteland, I'm like, oh, so what were they fighting again? Just a bunch yeah, of people like, with no technology and weaponry. Like, yeah, why? Like, <laughs> just the big angry blue people who look mean different. and monstrous. Yeah, and yeah. um, you know, like, why is there nothing on the planet? What did Asgard do? What did Odin do? And Hela? Yeah. You know, yeah. and why is Thor perpetuating that? Well, because he's been taught nothing else, and he's never been there in Jotunheim until that moment. Exactly, but um, he learns. We give him some character. Yeah, yeah. Arcs, he's so. a sweet boy in the end. Um, uh, what I was gonna say again is that yeah, why limit our interpretations of queerness and like characters being straight or gay to a society that's seemingly so progressive in every other area? Mm. And my personal headcanon, based on my readings and mythology of um, comics and of the films, is that Asgard is probably very chill about it because Mm. they have so much time to live. Yeah, absolutely. Why would you want to be, like you said, limited? Despite their age, they don't seem to have this huge younger population boom, so it's very likely people only have one or two children Mm. in their lifetime. Which is a thousand years mm. more? No, seven thousand years. I think Odin is stated to be in one of the movies. Loki says something like, "Give or take seven thousand years, we live, we 5, die." Five thousand years, I five, think. Yeah, I think. sorry, five thousand. Yeah, we live, we breathe, we die. Odin yeah, says while he's lecturing take. Loki in chains, and, and Loki's, Loki's like, like "Only oh, yeah. give or take five thousand years." Oh, that was so hot. <laughs> 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 now we're on to the uh, disgusting part of it. Oh, no, no, I'm kidding. but I wanted to. No. <laughs> we will get there. Folks. I know. I just want to say the one last thing about um, my interpretation is that unless you're of like a really important lineage or a bloodline, mm-hmm. Asgard's probably really cool about you just doing what you want. Like, mm-hmm. we've got Fandral, who is like probably the most DTF person. In Which the one's entire Fandral? Um, Warriors 3, the flirty one. Who looks like Robin Hood. Oh, with the mustache? Yeah. And blonde? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's like canonically just DTF all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's very much like probably cooler about that. Mm. Yeah, I, I hope. There's just the pressure from the older generations and the older bloodlines, which is not bad. Yeah. Poor Thor can't be who he really wants to be. He absolutely can. <laughs> 
He's he's just a dick. He's not getting married anytime soon. He's never okay. My my mythological OTP. Him and his lovely wife Sif, and I'm like, both of them are queer in my head, and I don't give a shit what anyone tells and me. And are they in a polyamorous relationship? Absolutely. With <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I don't know how I feel about Sif and Heimdall because they're siblings in the comics. Oh, are they? In the okay, comics, I didn't know that. In the comics, but then like that's the MCU is different there. Yeah. Um, because great choice to make Idris Elba like that was was a great choice. I'm not being sarcastic. But he's amazing. Looks great in gold. He's awesome. Um, <laughs> and I I think I the way I play that off is again bringing back to the adopted sibling thing. Mm. I'm like, no, nah, I absolutely head that. Like, yeah. That's their family adopted, in yeah. some way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move it on before okay. I get wrapped up on this forever. Um, Sorry. So, Taika also mentioned that Korg is gay in the comics and was in favour of presenting Valkyrie's character oh, okay. as queer. Was Korg even in the comics until after the movie? I don't know. As I far as I'm aware, he was it. completely invented. But if okay. there's anyone out there listening who can correct yeah. me. Tweet me. That queer is media That happens a lot. That happens a lot is that a character is so popular in the films, they, they write make them into it. Like, Coulson comics. wasn't in a comic until after. Ugh. Ugh, God, I hate Coulson. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to that, just shipping any two white dudes together like Clint, Clint and Coulson. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I was watching Thor 1 again and I was like, that's where it came from. Coulson's the it's biggest white like, slate in the world. It's, it's, I don't, I don't like it. I hate it. Thanks. Next. Okay. <laughs> I have so many thoughts, and most of them was, are, the it's fandom, bad. The fandom was fucking batshit with those rabbit hole theories, though. Like, you know how Coulson drops that quote about dating a cellist? Yeah. Everyone's like, a cellist, they play with a, a bow. You know who else has a bow? Hawkeye uh, has a bow. <laughs> I did that just so I could get that reaction. But you're not king. <laughs> There you go. I thought I'd make your day there. That was my favourite, like, logic spiral that they went to to try and justify it. I was like... It's because there's nothing there. It's just nothing there. Like, you can't make anything. So you're just, like, making up shit left, right, and center. Actually, I've got one funnier shit that I have to talk to you about. Do you want to do it on this podcast? Yeah, two more white men. Again, the fandom is so desperate to just pair them off. Um, Before Civil War came out, someone who'd, like paired off every Avenger they could think with someone else already. They're like, oh, what am I going to do with Bucky when he's back? They shipped him with Agent Sitwell. And if you remember Agent Sitwell, that's the small beady one he throws in front of a bus. (laughs) 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 And because they were a popular writer on AO3... Oh, who was it? Do you want to say? I don't even remember their name, because I never read a thing, because I hated it, but everyone in my house was obsessed with it. My old chair house that we called the Avengers Mansion. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was just like, what the fuck? And I think what, only... Did you say that everyone in your Avengers Mansion was obsessed with it? Yeah, okay, so I lived in a big share house in my second year of uni. And yeah. We called it the Avengers Mansion. The Wi-Fi password was, like, Jarvis let me in. And we were all very nerdy. It was just absolutely, yeah. The dream. So no one told you everything <laughs> You live on Asgard. And everyone is gay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. You're hired. That can stay. Okay. Um, Sorry. Yeah. So I don't approve of Stoney, Tony and Steve. And it's like 
fucking horrendous and the fact that they made i'm digressing i'm just not gonna i will talk about this when i find someone to do yeah yeah i'm just not gonna i've told you i'm down for winter soldier as well i just don't think i can because you just can't match my level of intensity about that movie all right sure but i did see it in cinemas more than you i know but i watched it every day for like six months yeah okay whatever it's not like it's Keena's favorite one, and we talk about it. All the time. Uh, no, I need I need someone who is like has read billions of words of fan fiction about it. Have you? Rude. Assuming I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't think that you were like that into the Winter Soldier because like we've not really talked about because it because we've been too busy talking about Thor because it's my favorite. <laughs> but Winter Soldier is my second favorite okay, movie. That's cool. I think um I think Thor might be my second favorite actually. See, like, we're in the reverse. Yeah, this would be perfect. Okay, well I'll think about it. Let me know. I'll think about it. I'm um, free exactly four weeks of the year. <laughs> every other April for four hours. Yeah. Okay. What's up? What are we gonna do? I um okay. So like you were saying, as gods don't have the concept of gender and sexuality yeah. as we know that I, concept. I like to hope. That's my optimism at mm. least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good optimism. Um, so one thing I want to talk about, I just made like one note of it, but we can probably talk about this for a bit more, mm-hmm. is that um, there's this, um, I was actually researching it for But I'm a Cheerleader episode, mm-hmm. which should be out by now. There's a, I think it's Lisa Duggan kind of, is it Lisa Duggan? No, it's um, somebody else comes up with this theory of like, the dignified homosexual slash bad queer mm-hmm. and it's saying that there's like a good way to be queer and then there's a bad way to be queer and i saw that dichotomy in valkyrie and hella like valkyrie is the good way to be queer because um she's a good guy and hella is the bad way to be queer because she's like you know imperialist and mm. and that's a like that is a very strong dichotomy between yeah. like imperialism and i don't know what the other word would be um liberty i don't know um kind of but like the opposite of white supremacy like liberty freedom yeah yeah um and that dichotomy is very clear in this movie you see i have a really good counterpoint here um which is all about how valkyrie also embodies that martyr yeah that sacrificial queer who knows their place and will fight and die for the heteronormative way of life She's literally under Odin's control when she's a Valkyrie. Yeah. He sends them all in to slaughter Hela, who's his deep, dark secret. Yeah. And um, she, meanwhile, like, this continues on the good way and bad way to be queer, portrayed as this white, like, um, white-armoured, shining knight mm, who, and who, knows, black, who knows her yeah. place, will die for the governing system, kind of like, you know, the political climate at the moment where, you know, a lot of, like, white cis gay queers who like do conform to standards to be able to like fit in society gaze. corporate gays or even myself to some standards as a teaching gay i often get like very locked out and treated like a class trader mm. by a lot of radical yeah like absolutely. uni queer gay, like, I, like radical mm. uni queers and that's interesting to me i love to unpack that yeah and hella meanwhile is um you know the one who's rebelling yeah refusing to be the puppet and yes she's going for some evil motives and some shitty reasons but she's literally, like, rejecting the society she's been put in and yeah. her family because they are telling her that she's no longer useful and she's to be deemed a threat. Yeah, so because that's she's really interesting. the motive in place. So she's challenging, but at it's the... It's not for the better. No, it's not, because, no. like, in the movie it's very explicit that 
she wants colonialism to keep going is and yeah fighting. is bad yeah. and it's what Thor, um, Bruce, but colonialism, even Loki colonialism and was only bad when Odin decided it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. Who is the literal embodiment of that colonialism? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's really so, interesting. To yeah, think about. yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd like to add that. And that's, no, that's really valid, yeah. And that's when Valkyrie gets her moments to shine is when she is away from Asgard and the ruling. In a way, like, the fall of the Valkyries and her being the example of the good and noble queer, like, leading to her downfall and loss mm. of her loved ones and her going to Sakaar. Sakaar is where she could start in the same way, ironically, in a parallel to Hela, is mm. rejecting Asgard and mm. rejecting the dominant system. But there, it's there that she becomes, like... A slaver. A slave trader. Yeah. 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 So... Because I think at that point, she's just given up on life and is waiting to die. But... Yeah. I think... Because she's lost her lover, she's lost her home. Yeah, and it's interesting how she just kind of goes... She detaches from Asgard, she starts to realise that it was a broken system, and then, like, needs her own... She needs to survive, Mm. which is, I think, where the, the slaver comes into it. And, um, yeah, it's just fascinating. I mean, she could be, like, an MMA fighter. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, she could do, I thought the like, any job. I thought the implication was she worked her way up to Slaver, and I'm assuming she would have gone through mm. the same initiation if someone got her when she crashed down into Sakaar. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. she could have been the champion before she yeah. brought yeah. Um, Hulk in. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's just a theory, though, because I imagine if it was... Because she literally would have rolled off the Biofrost. Mm. She would have fell into space, mm. rocked up in Sakaar, like, pretty emotionally devastated, mm. pretty fucked up. I mean, she could have, like, hopped around different... That's true. But, like, she's literally falling. I don't think she had any control over where she yeah. ended up. In the same way that once you get to Sakaar, it's fucking hard to leave. The only way yeah. out is through the devil's anus. Okay, so we might talk a little bit about decolonization. Um, yeah. And I wanted to talk about this because queerness and I'm going to say anti-colonization, like anti-colonial theory, uh, it used to be called post-colonial theory, but I don't know if it's changed. So mm. I could say post-colonial theory if it has changed, think, if I'm using an outdated um, metric. Not to quote my lovely girlfriend in political science, but I believe post-colonial isn't used a lot because it... It um, implies that colonialism is, is over yeah. when it's not in a lot of places in yeah, the world. And we're that's... still seeing the byproducts of former colonies, but they still have like um, drastic, like reduced economic and political power yeah. because of the impacts of colonialism and it's still re- re- wrecking their country. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I was going to use anti colonialism. Yeah, love it. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anti the colonialism, like anti colonization. Yeah. Yeah. So like queerness and anti colonization complement each other. Um, I don't think that you can have queer theory without um, anti colonial theory Mm -hmm. because they're both about destabilizing the assumed norm, which is heteronormativity and white supremacy. Interestingly, in history, the best records we have of um, queer people usually were the rich and those in nobility because they were Mm. untouchable Mm. that's an interesting side comment is that like we know queen christina of sweden because she was queen no one could do fuck about her like sleeping with women and wanting to like defy them so even within queerness um yes it is built in anti-colonialism 
but we have this weird complex history where a lot of the only people we had for millions of years were the people who were so above the law. Because they're the ones that, whose records exist. Like, you know, we wouldn't have known about necessarily like, uh, maybe because, um, there were a lot of records of like, um, queer people throughout history, like that podcast Queer as Fact. Yes. There's a lot of records and there are... Well, a lot of the ancient issues as well is there were tons of people in ancient queer times, but all of the like 1920s English white historians like translated things deliberately Mm. to not reflect that. Yeah. And also like World War II, Hitler like erased a lot of queer history. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then um, just like... (laughs) Our history is yeah. just not being preserved very well. The erasure of history. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, like, present in this movie, though. Because Absolutely. Hella, like, yeah, Odin covering it up. And so you could do both um, an anti-colonial and a queer reading okay. of of that, of Odin. Shout out to the one architect in Asgard who, like, didn't actually rip up all the tiles, but just, like, built on top of them. Probably under Odin's nose. I'm assuming Odin wasn't like, yeah, keep them there in case there's a time we go back to colonizing. <laughs> Unless he did it like... <laughs> okay, um, so Thor Ragnarok is uh, a story of decolonizing the colony. Um, all throughout the film there are references to Australia and New Zealand, but ultimately the story is about defying white supremacy mm. in the form of the murderous Hela, who destroys Thor's home planet while bringing him to the fold characters like Valkyrie and Korg. Okay. Um, the film also centers Loki as a hero in contrast to previous films like Thor, The Dark World, this and is Avengers. Interesting, because I would argue that Ragnarok is the only movie where you don't see one of the colonies. It's Asgard mm. and Sakaar. Yeah. Asgard's the root of power. Asgard's the England in this scenario. Yeah, like but country. I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue that Sakaar isn't colonized. No, well, Sakaar is colonized, but not by Asgard. Not by Asgard. If we're looking no. at the center of like. Hela embodies Asgard at its power and its yep. colonialism. Sakaar was not under that empire. But Sakaar I do want to is... touch on this later that I do think um, the Grand Master is also an agent of colonialism. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, he's like a little more... Un- he's more of like an autocrat, like a one soul power. Yep. He doesn't really desire much beyond Sakaar, mm-hmm. but he absolutely like benefits from the system of... like. Yeah, colonialism itself. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else we wanted to say in relation to that? Um, we move on? Yeah, okay. What I found really interesting is it's a story of, in the end, um, Thor being our main protagonist. Um, he's always felt so comfortable and confident and secure in his homeland and like it's the right place and the best mm. place. It reminds me a lot, actually, and this is probably very clever writing on Taika's part and good acting on Chris's, that... Um, a lot of Australia. Like, we're extremely proud of our country. Yeah. And we think it's amazing and wonderful. Like, I'm very much, like, I love Australia. And then and when beautiful. you, like, are a child or a young teenager and you, like, for the first time you sit down and you, like, think about the fact that how our country came to be, like, on the back of slaughtering mm. indigenous populations yeah, and like droves. Yeah, like, the first time you realise that. It's yeah. Just like, the cognitive dissonance you have because you're so used to the mentality mm. that Australia is such a lucky and a blessed country. And I really appreciated Thor having to go through that. And then in the end, Asgard's just fucking gone. And they're mm. all, like, refugees. Absolutely. So they're, they're flipping the entire 
they've gone from the seat of power to literally the most disenfranchised people without a home Mm. who are like struggling to find somewhere they can settle Mm. (sighs) didn't you say in the comics they settle in like milwaukee or something (laughs) no okay in the comics um for i don't remember the exact lead up because it's a fucking complicated run but eventually asgard i think asgard got destroyed and it needed like it reincarnates with time but it needs to be situated in a place where there is relevant power Mm -hmm. and um that's really interesting to unpack and I think at a point, Oklahoma on mm. Earth becomes the new Asgard. And I really thought they were, like, hinting at that in Ragnarok. Like, at the start where they go and find Odin as he's dying on the cliffs. Like, peace, deal with my problems. Um, and I thought that's what they were going to hint at, where Odin's there, like, sad on the cliffs of Norway. And he's like, oh, man. Like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, are they going to come back at the end of the movie? Mm. And is Asgard going to be in Norway? Like, that spot where Odin Doesn't died. there. No, nope. They all get slaughtered. Thanks, Loki, for bringing the Tesseract! <laughs> you fucking bitch. Thanks. I am absolutely anti, like... Loki? Anti-Loki. No, anti-Infinity War happening straight after Ragnarok. I wanted that breathing room in that time. Yeah. I feel like the Russos kind of threw a lot of Tyker's writing and ideas under the bus. Yeah, I know. You were very um, salty about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to see... You know, because we're left with such hope at the end of Ragnarok, mm. and they just kill half the Asgardians willy-nilly. Straight up. I'm like, they already lost so many people because yeah. of Hela. And you know... Uh, uh. Twice as well as Hela was there the first time. Mm. <clears throat> I think that, um, bringing it back to how you said that Hela is, like, the epitome of colonialism, I think that's understating Odin's role a lot. Yep. We look at him and see like an old man who's going into sleep a lot yeah and we're like oh yeah but we have to remember at a point he was the key domineering leader of a warrior race society and like i think he is the opinion of colonialism Mm. because in the way that he's insidious enough that it he passes (coughs) that on yeah he in thor he tries to instill that same sense of valor and oh god i'm gonna sneeze again (coughs) okay that same sense of valor and pride and um, warrior race kind of like mm. tendencies. Supremacy. In Loki, who is an other unbeknownst to himself until the one, um, Odin instills doubt and insecurity mm. and, and like kind of to diminish Loki to the point where even if he did find out about being Jotun, and as we find out when he does find out, instead of turning on Asgard, who's raised him and made him great and all this, whatever. He, he turns, turns on, on his original I people. I know. I was so like, I didn't understand that at all. I, I did not understand Loki's motives okay, in that, that movie at all. As as someone with a interesting childhood as a PhD and an interesting in trauma and Loki. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, bringing it back, I do read too much into these movies personally. No, I it's fine. Like, there's enough material there's that you a, can. There's a really interesting dynamic in my family, and I always explain it as my dad was like. Frigga, like Loki yep. and Thor's mum to me. He was always stable, consistent, fair, tried to love everyone equally, mm-hmm. like was very grounding. My mum is an Odin-like mm. force. She will make you feel like the best person in the world when she has that brief five minutes where she approves of you, but the rest of your existence is built around insecurity, mm. like neglect, being belittled, being not good enough. And then my sister and I are really interesting conflicting forces. 
like because she was propped up like the Thor of the family. Mm. She was the older sibling. She was the one who got all the money, time, resources. But she's fucking insane. She's mm. a bat case. She's like Loki in that mm. way. She's the unpredictable one who will destroy everyone and everything in her path. So, like, even though she got the full treatment, she turned out to be an asshole. Mm. Meanwhile, I was often the victim of neglect. I was, like, pushed to the side and forgotten about. And I was often, like, you know, not good enough for what my family wanted me to be good in. And, but then I held true to my character strengths Mm -hmm. of, like, honesty, integrity, courage, Mm -hmm. worth. Am I going to let my self-worth be defined around whether my mum or my dad think I am worthy? Which is literally what Milnir, the hammer, embodies for Thor. Like, yum, is yum. My, am I worthy enough for my father's weapon? Yeah. Which, that's another thing we can unpack when he finds yeah, out that Hela was the first owner. Yeah. And what does that mean if she was worthy enough to lift it and she's a monster? Yeah. Like, or framed as one. Because, uh, sorry, did you want to go on? Oh, yeah. Just to unpack that whole, God, I don't even, just to unpack that whole, like, the fact that a colonizer, like, it's always about the father figure in Thor. It's always about Odin's influence on his children and how that insidiousness seeps into them, causes a lot of their problems and their insecurities and their doubts. For Thor, that's he has to learn to be a better man and that being a good king and a good man are not necessarily the two same things. And that's why he really rejects the throne through most of the movies. Ragnarok's the first time he ever expresses a desire to be on it. And even then, it's only because his people are dispossessed and need mm. leadership. He doesn't. He has so much self doubt around whether he's going to be a good king because of his mistakes and because of his actions in the past. Yeah. And his soft spot for Loki and things that could influence it. Loki has just literally refracted. He has no sense of self and identity. He goes off the chart trying to fight or flight things. Um, his survival mode is just like manipulate whoever and whatever I can to keep going because his entire world's been taken out from underneath of him, mm. which is a very sympathetic thing, but I don't baby him over it. I'm like, cool no. motive, still genocide. Yeah. And then Hela, I think it's really easy to just read Hela as this one-dimensional villain, but remember, if you are like raised... colonization is not one-dimensional. No. Like, there are facets to it that make it complicated. If you are raised and the only thing you're taught to do is to fight people of other races and cultures Mm. it's very much that narrative of like even today in society like the parents often breed the attitudes of the children and but the one luckily children like today like for example a lot of the kids i teach come to school and are exposed to different perspectives have Mm. a teacher but odin was the only point of reference for hella in her life we don't Mm. know anything about her mother we know that it's not frigga because frigga's too young and wasn't married to odin then um and it's like when the person you've been appeasing and pleasing and thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread because you fight all their wars and their battles suddenly goes, Turns oh, I want peace yeah. and fuck you. I'm blaming everything mm. that happened on you. Like, that's the thing. Mm. I think Hela's this neat little parcel where Odin can go, well, I wasn't the colonizer. It was Hela. Yeah. And the audience fell for it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I think they pro. I don't know if they hammered that home enough that Odin, yeah. you know, is the source of Hela's um compulsions and her her behavior like even though it's it's not justified in saying like oh she's only this way because odin made her like she has the opportunity to change yeah but um i think it doesn't help that they kate blanchett played her 
and she looks much older than Thor and Loki do. And, mm. like, so it's implied that she was banished when she was, like, an adult. Yeah. Versus I would much... I think it's much more akin to... We look at Hemsworth and Blanchett and we go, maybe only 10 years there. If we backtrack that, we're like, oh, Hela might have been a teenager when she was exiled from Asgard. Well, it just depends, like, when she was put in... When she was exiled and put in that prison or whatever that was. Mm. Um, was she... Like, did she stay the same? Because we see Kate Blanchett playing... Hella, as when she's fighting Valkyrie. Exactly, but we so. see Valkyrie hasn't aged today as well, and she's younger, looks younger than like like mm. Thor. Yeah, who wasn't born yet. You see, that's the problem with all these immortal characters. Yeah, but because I I see Hella as an adult when she was fighting Valkyrie the first time. Yeah. So I assume that whatever cage she's put in has just like put her in stasis. Mm. Yeah. So she comes out without like you know without a thousand years to think about what she's done instead she's just locked in that time frame and that mindset so she comes out again instead of thinking about what she's done and maybe changing her mind Mm. she's just come out again or else she's literally been thinking about it this whole time and just been like no i still want to kill everyone Mm. no it's interesting yeah and i think at a point like when she comes back in ragnarok as well at that point it's revenge based yeah at that point it is like fuck you Odin for putting me in the cage Mm. like even if she had that redemption or didn't want to actually go out and slaughter which she doesn't like she wants she wants to go and like continue colonizing but that's because imagine from a young age like a child like Thor and Loki age in one when they're getting told stories about the Mm. frost giants she's picking up a weapon and Odin is teaching her how to kill yeah, like, I mean, because Odin teaches them about the Frost Giants and then he's like, they're bad people and we don't like them. Imagine that, never go to imagine that times a hundred because yeah. Odin was in the middle of his bloodthirsty, mm. I want golden resources. Mm. But, the um, gold for yeah, that I just see Hela as, I just see Hela as being, like, stuck in a stasis mm. of when she goes to prison. So, like, which is why she looks the same as when she did. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, I think as well, um, let me have a look here. It reminds me a lot of the dialogue, um, yeah, like I said before, of children who learn their racism and their homophobia from their parents, mm-hmm. um, not out of like any inbuilt like, sense of hate because that doesn't exist in children. Mm-hmm. All of them have the capacity to change. Mm-hmm. All of them have the capacity for deeper thought and for understanding and empathy. It just has to be taught. Everyone does. Yeah, and that's um, like why I don't think Hela is the pinnacle of colonialism. It's yep. Odin's role. I think yep. she was just taught senseless violence. Um, so she's like, um, like she's also an agent of colonialism, but she's not she's like the agent. source. Yeah, and she's a powerful agent. Yeah, and she's one that like, it's like the general in an army that mm. wins, or it's like the general in you know anything. But I don't think she was command. Mm. Um, and it's more akin to, like, a hate fueled by desperation for love and approval from the literal embodiment of straight white colonial power, which is Odin. This is similar, like, to young gay men flirting with toxic masculinity to plead really yep. cold and distant fathers. And or, also, like, their hatred of women and misogyny yeah, misog- and stuff like that. Yeah, or it's akin to, like, young queer women who feel immense self-destructive loathing when, like, their mothers, homophobic mothers or anything, slam anything gay in their presence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just... This, again, like how Loki had everything ripped out from underneath him. I don't think Hela ever actually had anything underneath her. She was only taught one way. She was only 
you know, an epitome of violence. Because mm. that's all that Odin needed her as a tool to be. He didn't need her to be a child. He didn't need her to be a bargaining chip that could be locked away in a vault later. Mm. He needed her to conquer. And yeah, absolutely. So he had a very specific role for her. Yeah. Anyway, yes. So that was part one of a two-part episode in which Dana and I talk about the Thor franchise. Um, it was my plan all along to talk so much about Thor that I would have to break it up into two episodes. And that's exactly what happened because I am a devious mastermind and it turns out that we have a lot to say. So the first episode was, that you just listened to was more about um, the general Thor queerness etc etc and a bit about anti-colonialism the second part will be more in depth about the characters so we talk more about loki about hella about valkyrie and the grandmaster and their respective ships um so that will be out on the 21st of may and you can wait for it then if you like, or if you want to, you can subscribe to my Gatreon, which is patreon.com slash media, and you can get the whole episode, including the one that you just listened to. You can get that for uh, as little as $3, and you can listen to the whole episode then. So there are some other bonus stuff that you can get, so... If you subscribe for $3, I will write you a properly researched and referenced and analysed blog post um, on a movie or TV show of your choice. If you subscribe for $5 a month, you get an uh, audio post for uh, a movie or TV show of your choice. And if you subscribe for $10, I will make you, I will record you an episode of this podcast um, on any media of your choice. So that could be like uh, a, an album or, you know, a discography or a comic book or a book or, you know, anything like that. Um, so subscribe to the Gatreon if you want any of that extra special bonus content. And also if you'd like to support this podcast. If you want to help out the podcast in any other way, um, because you don't have any money or because, you know, whatever, I understand being a poor student and uh, not having any money to support podcasts, um, it is a luxury, so I understand. But if you want to help out in any other way, um, recommend it to your friends, rate me on iTunes or the podcast app you listen on. You know, tell everyone about it if you really like what um, what I do here because I it's really like a real passion of mine. I I just can't believe how lucky I am that I get to do this just as a hobby. It's amazing. So I really love what I'm doing. If you love what I'm doing and you love the sound of my angelic voice, um, yeah, just give me a shout out. You can always. Um, at me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Tumblr or WordPress at Queer as Media. Um, you can even um, post on Instagram and tag sexuality if you want to. Um, yeah, so that would be cool. Anyway, uh, look out for the next episode. We're also going to have a special episode coming out that will be about Avengers Endgame that Dana and I and a friend of ours, Alex, is going to be on, are going to be on. 
and um, yeah, so that was going to be a spoiler-filled episode. So if you haven't seen Endgame yet, that's probably going to come out on um, maybe the 15th, no, yes, 15th, um, if not before then. It should be at least after this episode. If you don't want to listen to it because of spoilers, I understand, but I think everyone probably would have seen Endgame by then. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to wait until then to release it, and hopefully it'll still be timely. Um, I cannot get enough Endgame content, so this episode obviously was filmed before Endgame came out, as is the one that's coming out on the 21st, but... uh, yeah, the other one, the special one that's coming out in between these two episodes is going to be an endgame spoiler fun zone. So watch out for that. Um, yeah, so you can follow Dana uh, on her Tumblr at feels all over the place, one word. Um, and you can follow this podcast on Tumblr as well at Queer as Media. So yeah, thank you for listening. And be sure to tune in next week. Or whenever. It's not a week. It's next fortnight. Next fortnight. That's the one I'm looking for.